Welcome to a special edition of McClatchy's Beyond the Bubble podcast, coming to you live from Charleston on an overcast Monday here. I'm Alex Rorty, a national political correspondent for McClatchy. We're going to do something a little bit different this week. In a few minutes, we're going to bring you an interview with the chairman of the South Carolina Democratic Party, Trav Robertson, after the state party's first in the South dinner, where each of the major presidential candidates is talking. We'll talk to him about the state of the Democratic primary in the Palmetto State and why it's different than the previous contest in this race. But first, we wanted to bring on Adam Walner, national politics editor for McClatchy, to talk about Nevada. Because, wow, a lot happened in Nevada. Adam, Bernie won, and it wasn't close. And it feels like, even more so than after Iowa and New Hampshire, that Sanders is an overwhelming frontrunner in this race. Yeah, and I guess we should note, even as we're recording this on a Monday afternoon, we still don't have all of the results in from Nevada, which, um, boy, if you thought after Iowa that there was a chance that caucuses might live on after 2020, uh, I think this was the the, the final nail. I hope you enjoy the caucuses so far, (laughs) because it's not happening. And honestly, the reason that we are not talking more about that is because the race was called so early on Saturday for Bernie Sanders, right? It wasn't like in Iowa when everybody was so bunched up. And and that has been the prevailing storyline here, obviously, over the past couple of days, um, you know, walking away with a double digit victory in Nevada. And, you know, I think it's worth looking back to 2016, when he was running, at this point, it was basically a one-on-one race with Hillary Clinton. And this is kind of where Hillary regained her her traction a little bit, or mm-hmm. her footing, because it was a very close race in Iowa uh, that Hillary ended up winning narrowly. Bernie had a big win in New Hampshire, and uh, Hillary Clinton was able to come in and, and get a, a single-digit win in Nevada. And that really kind of put her on the path forward to, to the nomination. <laughs> in a lot of ways, it looks like you know Bernie Sanders may have done something similar for his campaign, obviously, it's a much different scenario where, um, you know, still no one has gotten the majority of a vote in any of these contests. It still is a very divided and closely bunched up field. But, the, you know, the, one of the big questions we've had about Bernie Sanders ever since his 2016 campaign ended is, can he expand his base? Can he make inroads, particularly with non-white voters where he struggled uh, so badly in 2016? And that question, I think, was answered yes on on Saturday, winning overwhelmingly with Latino voters, uh, which made up roughly 20 percent of the electorate there. He made inroads with, with even moderate and conservative Democrats. Uh, he even uh, was leading among Democrats um, who are looking for the most electable candidate who can beat Donald Trump in 2020. So this was a really resounding victory for Bernie Sanders, and perhaps even more importantly for him going forward, there still is no clear alternative that emerged to, to him. Uh, because, you know, even though he's now taking, you know, 35, 40% of the vote, you know, we'll see where it ends up landing. Obviously, there still may be some sort of opening for somebody to uh, to kind of emerge on that moderate lane and challenge him, but the time is running out fast here. Right, right. I mean, the thing that really sticks out is just how well-rounded Sanders's victory was. Look, again, he is not winning a majority of the vote yet in the Democratic Party, but um, his percentage did surge from what we saw in Iowa and New Hampshire. And you saw, according to the entrance polls, I mean, he won just about every kind of voter, with the exception of senior citizens over 65 mm-hmm. years old and African-American voters, um, that Joe Biden won narrowly. According to right, to and, right, and Sanders even made inroads with with black voters, which was mm-hmm. huge for his campaign. And we'll get into, I think, a little bit more what that could mean for South Carolina this week. But certainly, uh, a positive sign that um, he, he's showing some life with that slice of the electorate. And you, and I think you have really felt it in the days since um, Saturday 
Uh, again, we're recording here on a Monday, and it feels like the the factions of the party opposed to Bernie Sanders, which really exist a lot and a lot of longtime Democrats in Washington, the quote unquote Democratic establishment, if you will, though I'm not entirely sure what that means, um, where there has been this increased sense of panic. You've seen, I want to say like the opposition research has even reached a new level, a new level of scrutiny on some of the things that he has said. Um, there was an interview that he gave to 60 Minutes where, again, a lot of Democrats raised questions about him being able to uh, describe how he would pay for something like Medicare for All or what the overall cost would be. So I think you've definitely seen some of that. But to your point, because I think this is going to be an important story, very obviously, as we now transition here into South Carolina, who is the alternative? Because you have a contest where Pete Buttigieg finished first or second in Iowa, depending on which count you put the most stock in. He finished a clear second in New Hampshire, but then he finishes third in Nevada. His vote total does drop off. And Joe Biden seemingly finishes second, certainly declared as much in his own victory speech, Adam. And and that seems like the, the struggle right now is between Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg and who is the true Sanders alternative. Right. And we're not getting any closer to answering that question. In fact, we seem to be getting further away from answering that question because even a couple of weeks ago, the outcome of this South Carolina primary that's happening on Saturday was not in question. Uh, you know, this has always been Joe Biden's state to lose. Every poll up until really the nominating season really started in earnest had him winning by double digits in this state. And that was because of his strength with black voters, which make up about 60% of the Democratic electorate here. But after, you know, he hasn't gotten a win yet, his particularly weak showings in Iowa and New Hampshire, um, he's really um, bleeding a lot of that support here. And some of that black support has gone to Bernie Sanders. A lot of it has also gone to Tom Steyer, believe it or not, uh, someone who hasn't made too much um, of an impact on this race yes, so far. Tom Steyer is relevant, people. Tom Steyer is relevant in South Carolina. He's, you know, he's, according to the polls, he's on track to finish in the top three. And that just kind of adds to this that, and this is a point you've been making, Alex, that we almost just seem to be adding relevant candidates by the week here, right? You know, I think we all kind of wrote Amy Klobuchar off. After Iowa, she has a big debate performance. We sort of wrote Elizabeth Warren off to to a lesser degree after New Hampshire. She has a big debate performance in Nevada. Didn't totally pay dividends in the caucuses, but her campaign seems to believe that that will still uh, give her a, a boost heading into Super Tuesday. So as long as these other candidates stay in the race and give themselves a rationale to stay in the race, we get to Super Tuesday. Um, you know, not to look too far ahead from South Carolina, but just the way that the delegates are allocated. Here you have to reach, you know, that 15% threshold and at the statewide and the congressional district level, you know, on those 14 Super Tuesday states, Bernie Sanders is on track to hit that virtually everywhere, you know, and the other candidates are, are maybe scraping by in, in a handful of states at best. So we could come out of Super Tuesday here where, again, you know, Bernie Sanders does not even need that close to a majority of Democratic voters in these states, but he's going to walk away with the lion's share of the delegates based on how they're they're allocated. Yeah, I mean, it's not too early to skip ahead to Super Tuesday at all because that, that's <laughs> because the, it is a week it is a week away <laughs> right right and 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 that's where all the delegates are and that's what's going to matter unless someone can can head off Bernie Sanders you know he, again like he opened the show I mean he looks like a stronger and stronger frontrunner on your point about Warren I mean the concern for even if Buttigieg or Biden were to somehow gain supremacy in that battle about which is mm-hmm. the true alternative the problem is, like, Elizabeth Warren's campaign thinks that she has momentum right now. And there actually is some national polling to back up that yeah. idea. Um, you know, there was a CBS YouGov poll released on Sunday that showed her bouncing, you know, into the high teens uh, and national support again. Yeah. 
Um, and, and meanwhile, Amy Klobuchar is staffing up in Super Tuesday states like North Carolina. Her campaign just announced, like, no one else is dropping out of the race right now. It's in Bo- oh, by the way, Michael Bloomberg is still there. Yeah, we didn't even get to him, but... Right, I mean... It's just split things even further. Right. I, I, I mean, I just feel like, you know, in the in the podcast that we've done the last six or seven weeks, we've just returned to this point over and over again that everything seems to be breaking Bernie Sanders' way. Right. Right? And, and to your point about how we seem to be adding candidates, you know, if... If you took away Tom Steyer's vote and you gave it to Joe Biden, and given the support that Steyer had in the African-American community, it's a, it's a reason to think a lot of it would have gone to Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. Joe Biden's finish would have looked a lot different. You know, he wouldn't right. have beaten Bernie Sanders, but he would have been a much stronger second place. Yeah. And the danger for him is the same thing could happen in South Carolina or even more. I mean, polling shows that Steyer is even stronger in South Carolina. So now there's a lot of focus on on his campaign. And it's it's frankly, if you're a Democrat who is opposed to Bernie Sanders, it's kind of a nightmare. And it's really been a, an unfolding nightmare these last two months. And there just really isn't any way to change it. Now, on the other side, if you're a Bernie Sanders supporter, this has worked like a dream. And 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 people can complain as you know about the, the crowded field and that he's not winning a real majority. But again, as we said, and we're going to wrap this up here in a minute, but as we said, Nevada really proved some of the doubters wrong that his coalition was stuck at one quarter or so of the party. He won a much broader constituency in Nevada, which, by the way, is a much more diverse state. And he did it in particular because he just won a huge share of Latino voters and in particular young Latino voters. And it really is a refutation of the criticism once and for all, I think, that his coalition is just too white or that he can't win not you know voters of color. It just isn't the case very clearly right now. And so we'll see this week, Adam. But obviously, South Carolina sets up as one of the last attempts that the the anti-Sanders parts of the party candidate have to, to knock him off. Right. And yeah, and to your point about sort of the non-Sanders candidates in the race, and I think there is this understanding, especially after Nevada, that, you know, among the more moderate establishment, whatever you want to call them, anti-Sanders Democrats, that, yeah, we need to line up behind somebody basically now before it gets too late. But then they look at the field and, you know, I think the candidates would say, well, why should I drop out? You know, if I'm Amy Klobuchar, why should I drop out for Pete Buttigieg or Joe Biden? I didn't, you know, I haven't finished that far behind them in the first three states. And then the delegate race, we're all basically in the same place. So maybe Joe Biden, if he does end up um, getting back to some of that strength in South Carolina on Saturday, maybe that will boost his argument heading into Super Tuesday. But, you know, the other problem there is Super Tuesday is only three days after South Carolina. It's going to be such a quick turnaround if anybody does come out of South Carolina with serious momentum, will they be able to capitalize on that quickly going into Super Tuesday? Or particularly since a lot of these states have early voting, and we saw that in Nevada, and I think that hurt Warren a little bit, is that some votes are already banked. So the, uh, the overarching theme of our chat here today is that everything seems to be coming up Bernie Sanders. Everything's coming up Bernie. Okay, we're going to leave it there. Adam, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, of course. Okay, we are coming to you from the hotel ballroom in Charleston, where the South Carolina Democratic Party has just had its first in the South dinner. We are here honored to be joined by Mayan Schechter, who is leading the state newspaper's political coverage in South Carolina. Mayan, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. We are standing next to the chairman of the South Carolina Democratic Party, Trav Robertson, Mr. Chairman. There are five days before the South Carolina primary. What is you see? What is the state of play in the state right now? I think we've got a fluid race. I mean, I think you saw from the individuals in there tonight, you saw obviously a, a wide variety and a range of support for the candidates that came in and spoke. Um, there's no question that 
Joe Biden is extremely familiar with the people of South Carolina, specifically older African-American voters. The question I think he's going to have to ascertain to find out is whether or not he is, uh, is it name ID or is it an actual affinity and love uh, based on Joe Biden? I do think that one of the things that makes Joe Biden so successful in South Carolina is because people really, they may not know Joe Biden, but they think Joe Biden knows them. And I think that's something, that's an affection and an affinity that is hard to quantify or qualify. You still think he's a clear front runner? In I think state? he's probably got an edge. I think that there's no question Bernie Sanders uh, actually is probably the only candidate who actually I've ever seen learn from 2016 the mistakes that he made in South Carolina. Tell me more about that. Well, I mean, in 2016, the campaign was really focused on Iowa and New Hampshire, and he blew up so quickly, so fast, that there was, it was really non-containable to the extent that he could not focus on more than one or two states at the same time. But there was a movement just to go to big, large crowds. And when he came and lost in South Carolina, every article was written about him. It was that he could not connect with people of color. But Senator Nina Turner... Uh, from Ohio, you've got Representative Wendell Gilliard, Representative Terry Alexander, Representative Aubrey Thickman. They have made a concerted effort to modify and adapt that campaign to start campaigning in smaller communities of color. And, you know, we've been on the campaign trail, Mayan. We, we've seen that. And they are, are working with him very hard. Plus, I think he's got something that he didn't have in 2016. He's had our revolution who have been working with a chip on their shoulder because they think the election was stolen for them. Sometimes a chip on your shoulder in a race like this means a hell of a lot, especially from your supporters. But they've been working for four years nonstop. And it's, it's folly for us to think that they haven't been working in South Carolina, too. Uh, you know, I think Tom Steyer tonight, easy to say that he's trying to buy his way into this election. But the truth is that's not necessarily the case. And I think that he's been here for a very long time. He, you know, he talked about win, lose, or draw. He's still going to be part of South Carolina. He's falling in love with the people here. You know, Elizabeth Warren has been the most resilient on the spectrum. And uh, she has a, a significant following. But uh, you saw tonight Amy Klobuchar, after she spoke, was one of the few candidates who got a standing ovation. You saw people stand up for Amy Klobuchar. And I think that, uh, unfortunately, um, you know, South Carolina being so close to Super Tuesday, that's going to be curious to see what that does to her campaign. Well, I want to ask you about that because you and I have talked before about candidates and making South Carolina important, an important part right. of their campaign. And now you have been disappointed in that some candidates have sort of glazed over South Carolina, have right. been focusing too much on maybe these other states before really trying to prove themselves in the contest here. I mean, is that disappointment still remaining? I think the truth is, is that you had several of these candidates and they focused so much on proving their case in Iowa and New Hampshire that it may have prevented them from being here or spending resources here. And listen, I am a campaign manager. I'm an accidental party chairman. I am never going to begrudge somebody from trying to win a campaign because that's what this is all about. And if that's a strategy they take, so be it. But I do think that the voters of South Carolina will recognize that. You know, Pete Buttigieg is right there edging up too. And I think that it's fascinating. You've got three moderate or pragmatic candidates, and you've got two from the progressive wing, and you're seeing the, the dilution of all of that. And, I mean, it, we'll see how it plays out, but anything, as you know, anything can happen in four days in South Carolina. And the advent of digital advertising only 
makes that more probable. When I talk to a lot of voters, I'm always surprised how many have gone from Elizabeth Warren last fall to Pete Buttigieg to Amy Klobuchar, and you talk to them now and they're interested in Elizabeth Warren again. What, what do you think is behind that? I think that's the cyclical nature of politics, but I also think it's indicative. I haven't cast my vote yet as chairman of the party. <laughs> right. And I think that part of that is is we're constantly waiting to see how this race evolves. You know, I was talking to someone tonight and from another state, uh, and they were actually going through and said, you know, I've already voted absentee ballot. Did I make a mistake by doing that? I don't know what our absentee ballot total is. I, right now, I thought it was around 31, 32, in between 30 and 35,000. The question is, are people waiting to vote absentee because they haven't made their minds up? And I do think that when you have the largest field of candidates that we have ever had in the history of a nominating process, that you actually will have people who have not made up their minds. That's not a sin. It's okay to be uh, to flip from one candidate. It means that people are looking at them. They're taking a choice. Do you think part of it is, I mean, people are so fixated on trying to beat Donald Trump that they seem almost fickle about from month to month? worrying, oh, this candidate looks good, and then something bad happens, and all of a sudden they're scared and they can't beat Trump. Oh, I think that's probably true. I mean, you heard Joe Biden tonight say that it was important to nominate someone that had the ability to not hurt down-ballot candidates. I mean, obviously that was a pointed remark as it relates to another candidate in the race. Which candidate would that be? I'm not involved in all of that. I mean, you know, I think it's kind of funny myself. The, the truth is, is that ever since Jimmy Carter was president, I've run about 25 or 30 campaigns, and every Every time they've called my Democratic candidate a socialist or a communist in the South. We have found ways to win in spite of that. Uh, and, and part of that is is fighting back and creating our own branding and not allowing them to brand us. But you how know? big of a concern is that here in South Carolina? I mean, is it, is it actually a real concern on the impact of down-ballot races? Whoever I'm, is at not, the top of the ticket? I'm not concerned about it. I think the premise of your question is to the extent that we have allowed Republicans to define who we are and what our candidates instead of taking the fight to them. Republicans always turn their weaknesses into strength, and Democrats allow their weaknesses to be albatross around their neck. Thus, Democrats tend to run shitty campaigns in this state. And so I'm not willing to cede the ground for any of these candidates, but I do think that Bernie Sanders is very clear on one thing, and I think that he is sending a message to his supporters and the people that we will unite behind all of the candidates or whoever the eventual nominee is. Hasn't always been a smooth primary process thus far. It's not. <laughs> I mean, my God, listen, I like to eat deer meat. I like to have hamburgers. I don't want to go watch them make it. And this is the unfortunate byproduct of a long primary process. We are seeing how we pick a nominee in a contested race. There's nothing wrong with that. I understand that there were problems in Iowa, but at the end of the day, you saw people going to a gym in the middle of a cold, weathered atmosphere and participating in the democracy. What's wrong with that? So I don't buy into all of that, the sky's falling stuff. Uh, part of that's being South Carolinian. I mean, we, you know, listen, I've got one of the toughest jobs in the world, being chairman of a Democratic Party in a southern state. You know, I, I've always had to fight for everything. I'm a short little bald man living in a tall person's world. I mean, I've got to fight for everything. Looking ahead to tomorrow night's debate, mm -hmm. what do you expect out of it? Do you think it's going to be as contentious as, as what oh, happened I think in Nevada? So. I think that you will see a clear contrast and comparison of not only visions for America, but also the means by which they'll implement those visions. I think that you will see individuals clearly try to differentiate themselves. I mean, Elizabeth Warren had such a profound impact on the debate 
in Nevada, as did Biden and Buttigieg and Bernie. I mean, I anticipate tomorrow night being an interesting event, more so than we've seen in a long time in South Carolina. Mr. Chairman, thank you so much for your time. Always. I really appreciate it. We're glad to have you in South Carolina. Thanks again to Trevor Robertson and Adam Walner for helping us break down the results from Nevada. We'll be back later this week with a regular episode previewing the South Carolina primary, which is becoming more important than this race with every passing day. Until then, thanks to our producer, Jeremy Sheeler, and our executive producer, Davin Coburn. And thank you to our listeners. We'll see you later this week.